0: Wait, wait, wait. Before we start, just want to make sure we're clear here. While this podcast talks about sobriety, mental health, and addiction, it is not meant to replace professional medical advice. All clear? All right, let's go then. Welcome to Sisters in Sobriety from Everbloom, the support community that helps women change their relationship with alcohol. I'm Kathleen.
1: And I'm Sonia. And we're ex-sisters-in-law, brought together in marriage and bonded through our
0: sobriety journey. Join us as we talk sobriety, addiction, and everything in between. You're in for quite a ride. Hi, we're Kathleen and Sonia, and you're listening to Sisters in Sobriety. Thank you for being here. I'm Sonia, and I'm with my sister in sobriety, actually my sister-in-law, Kathleen. How are you doing today, Kathleen?
1: I'm good. I'm
0: good. I'm feeling very optimistic about
1: the new year. I am feeling healthy. I'm feeling good. How are you doing? Good. I feel
0: the same way. I like really loved waking up without a hangover on New mm-hmm. Year's Day. I know it's probably like the 6th or 7th one, but it, I I really felt it this year. Did you stay up until midnight? Oh, I sure did. Oh. Did you? Uh,
1: no. Really? No, I went to bed at 11. I was like, no, thanks. I'm oh, good. No, no, I went yeah. to bed.
0: I mean, I went to bed shortly after, but
1: no, oh, I stayed up. Mm-mm, I had like nine hours of sleep on New Year's Eve. It was like to New Year's Day. It was so good. And uh, yeah, no.
0: Wow. Okay. I did have some good mocktails too, actually, which was interesting. I went to a progressive house party. And oh. uh, so one house to the next. And the first couple had really, they had interesting mocktails. I was really happy about it. That's awesome. That's so good. The world is changing. hmm Yeah. Speaking of, today we're going to be talking about self-care, which I think a lot of us have trouble defining for ourselves. I know I do. And then even implementing into our lives. So sobriety isn't just about abstaining from substances. It's really about rediscovering ourselves and nurturing our well-being. And I think self-care is a really crucial component on the journey. And I really do struggle with it. I struggle with the idea that it's not a spa day or a bubble bath. And these are great ways to relax. But it's something deeper and a more consistent commitment, I think, to caring for mental, emotional, and physical health.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, And in sobriety, we often find ourselves facing feelings and situations that we Used to avoid or would numb from. And this is where self care becomes really, really important. So it's about creating a safe and nurturing environment for ourselves where we can process the emotions and experiences without judgment and without judgment for ourselves. And it's about learning to be kind to ourselves and understanding that recovery is a process and sometimes it is okay not to be okay. So, Sonia, how would you define self care?
0: Yeah, I really do like that idea of looking at it from like a physical, emotional, and mental health place. So these kind of three different places. And and I think it's anything you do to improve that health imbalance of those three things. And I know I say this quote a lot, but my sobriety comes first so that everything else in my life doesn't have to come last. And so that to me encapsulates really what self-care is. And so- that's that's how I look at caring for myself and my sobriety is it's more important than any, because there is nothing else without that. So, and then sometimes I try to look at it backwards. So anything that compromises sobriety, I need a self-care tool for, or like a routine around it. And those tools and routines really have to be a priority for me. How do you define self-care? I really look at, At our,
1: you know, each of us, ourselves as a whole person. So, not just like an aspect of ourselves, but how we treat ourselves as a whole person. And so that can include physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, all those different things. And it's really how we view ourselves and how we care for ourselves as a whole person. That's how I define it.
0: I love that. Yeah.
1: What can implementing self care look like for our listeners?
0: Yeah, I think there's some practical issues here. You need to find the time and the energy to take care of yourself, which I think can be really difficult because I felt like for me too, when I was drinking, all my needs were taken up or met by alcohol, right? So I used it for anxiety, stress, enjoying things, celebrating when I was bored, when I was tired. And so now all these things require a different tool. And the tool is not going to be as immediate in terms of like effect as alcohol. So they're going to take longer to work. And part of it is consistency and planning, which if you think about it, opening a bottle of wine doesn't take any effort or consistency or planning. So if you're stressed and you open a bottle of wine, it's like there, I took care of the stress. And so you really have to dig a little bit deeper to figure out who you are and what things make you happy and fill you with joy and for me especially what things make me feel calm and peaceful. Mhm. What do you mm-hmm. think implementing self-care can look like for listeners?
1: I think it's really different for everyone. I think everyone is going to have their own individual self-care plan and what those look like. And so it can mean learning to say no and setting boundaries which we're going to talk about a little bit later and not overcommitting. It can mean not having toxic people in your life. It can also mean doing the things that you might think of for self care, like exercising or eating foods that are nourishing for your body. But it means to me, it really means if you look at yourself and self care as like, how would you care for someone that you really loved? Like, if you were caring for a child, let's say that you really loved and that you wanted to nurture and make sure they grew into like a happy, Well formed person, what would you do? And then bringing that same energy to yourself. So caring for yourself,
0: like it's someone you really love. Yeah, I hear that term, like you have to learn to parent yourself. Mm -hmm. And parenting. Yeah, I feel like that. Yeah, that's so interesting to me because I I find myself like really hard on myself and really critical. And so it's like, what would a nurturing parent say?
1: Yeah, exactly. Like, you're really close with my daughter, your niece, and she's still little-ish. She's nine. And how would you want her to be treated, really? If you look at it from that way, and I look at that too, like, what what would I want to treat my little nine-year-old self like? What would I, what would I do? What would self-care look like
0: for that child? I feel it. Like, with her, like, she'll say things like... Oh, well, I'm not good at that. And mm-hmm. I say that to myself all the time. Like I'll be like, "Oh, I'm not good at sports. I'm not good at art. I'm not good with my hands. I'm uncoordinated." And my instinct when she says it is to be like, "No, that's not true. You're good mm-hmm. at everything. You're not it's cuz you're not if you want to be good at it, you could be good at it." Mhm. It it hurts so much when she says that. Whereas mm-hmm. like I say that to myself, I don't know, 50 times a day. Mhm. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I think about that even like when I think about how I talk to myself about my physicality. So, you know, how I've gained weight in the last few years and like the judgment and self-torture over that. But I would never in a million years say anything like that to my daughter. I am always talking to her about how strong she is. And we actually never really focus on her physicality because that's not what's important in our household yet. Inside my own brain, there's something else happening. So self-care, just coming back to that, is like, how would you, how would you talk to yourself if you actually loved yourself?
0: Right? Oh my God. I got back from Christmas and I, I know you hate that I weigh myself, I weigh myself and I gained three and a half pounds. And I was like, swear to God, Googling, how can I get Ozempic? What? Yes. But if you did that, or if she, I would kill you, I would. I would be like, "Are you out of your mind?" But I'm telling you, I, I'm not getting it. And yeah. So... And for those people who cannot have not seen a
1: picture of Sonia and actually, it doesn't even matter what. Her, no, it doesn't matter. Like, extremely tiny, and so like that is, girl, those are issues you need to take up with your therapist. No, I've no, been saying I'm this working to you on for it.
0: Years. I'm working,
1: I'm working on okay. it, and I,
0: and I know it because when even like your my niece, your daughter is. She's so beautiful, and mm-hmm. I I stop myself from saying mm-hmm. it to her because I don't want her to care about what she looks like, right? Well, she doesn't. She does. She, she doesn't, sure doesn't care what she.
1: No, she doesn't. And you know what? We care about taking care of ourselves physically, so like hygiene and like making yeah. sure there's not dreadlocks and things like that, but. I try to balance it out. We talk about like her intelligence or we talk about her kindness. Self-care is really, again, bringing that back into ourselves. You know, I, I once had a coach who before we really started our coaching journey together, she asked us, I think it was for two weeks, a week or two weeks, to look in the mirror every morning and tell ourselves how much we loved ourselves. And it was so awkward and so uncomfortable for me to do that. And, you know, I think it's much easier for me to do that now. But like how that is self-care,
0: right? I think I'm going to do that. I'm writing it down. I think I'm going to do that. Do it. Look in the mirror. Does it have to be in the mirror? That's fine. Yes,
1: it does. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I'm getting emphatic about it because I'm really curious how this goes for you. Okay. It was hard. It was hard for me. I'm outwardly Mm -hmm.
0: more confident, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Forget about me. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about self-care. <laughs> Should we do a therapy session yeah, on care? <laughs> okay. So um, what has self-care meant for you, Sonia? Yeah, it's meant different things, I feel like, over the years. And so I think it's, for me, it's really been about figuring out who I am, what I like to do, Who I spend time with. And so that was something that when I was drinking, I really, there was no care put into that. Right. And so I did whatever. I hung out with whoever, whoever was drinking and partying. And I didn't really reflect, right? What do I like and not like doing? So I think you have to be really honest with yourself and figure out what behaviors, what practices are serving you. And and which are not. And I'm not always able to do it, right? Sometimes there's social pressure or some internal pressure I'm feeling to fit in. But I would say overall, I'm always trying to figure out like, how does this feel? Like, how does this situation feel? Should I be in this? Should I not be in this type of situation again? So yeah. What about you? What came first for you, the self-care routine or the sobriety?
1: So I thought a lot about this question, and I, it was really like a chicken or egg situation for me. I actually can't pinpoint which one because the sobriety, like I, you know, if if those of you who are listening listened to my story, I went away for a month. It was sort of like a rehab in disguise, in a sense. I didn't know I had thought about getting sober, but where I was for that month, like you could not have caffeine. You could not have sugar. You had to eat the meals there. We were like in the middle of like kind of desert area. And so that was, you know, that self-care was there in terms of I was doing yoga every day. I was doing meditate. I was meditating. I was doing all of that. So that was there. And then it was sort of, I became sober, through that experience, um, from drugs through that experience. So it's tough for me to say, because I definitely had the intention going into it that I didn't want to live a life tied to drugs anymore, but I didn't, it was almost like it happened at the same time. So it is a bit of a, it's hard for me to pinpoint, but I think they're both so connected, which is one of the reasons we're doing an episode on self-care because self-care and sobriety are so, so connected.
0: For sure. I think that it's something that takes a backseat when you are using substances because you think you're doing with using them is you're, you're, you know, just going to pour a glass of wine here. I'm going to do me, you know?
1: Yeah. I'm going to just relax and, you know, yeah, for sure. For sure. So I know your self-care journey has changed over the last seven years, but when did you start to realize that you were developing these tools?
0: Yeah, I I think I I called it doing all the things. And so, yeah, that was sort of my that was sort of my technique for figuring out these tools.
1: Okay, well, let's tell us more about all the things.
0: Yeah, so I think before I got sober, I wasn't nurturing any part of myself, and I really was under the impression that self-care was vacations and spas and going to a wine tasting, getting my hair done. Because for example, like you get your hair done, you feel good about yourself. And I was like, and that's self-care. And so when I got sober in 2017, I didn't even know what gave me true joy. So it was really a process of learning to listen to this inner voice and that I had silenced because to be honest, the inner voice was telling me I had a drinking problem. So once you shut the inner voice down, you shut down everything else it's saying too. So when I did finally get sober, I just, you know, I took classes for everything. Mm. I tried out everything, but I think you do have to be a little reflective and say like, oh, okay, I don't think I'm, I'm going to be a bonsai artist or I don't think I'm going to be a jewelry artist. Maker. And I think that eventually I just kind of settled into like some things that really made me happy and feel really authentic. I do light exercise pretty often. I'm not going to run a marathon. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say you, it makes me laugh
1: because you say you like to do exercise that involves laying down. Yes. (laughs) But you
0: you don't, you do other stuff too, but you like Pilates. I just did it. I just, I did Pilates and I, I didn't even take a shower and I'm on this because I didn't sweat at all. (laughs) I don't, I'm not averse to sweating, but like, I just laid down and yeah, I love a good shavasana too. <laughs> but yeah, light gardening. I started off by being like really hardcore. Like, I'm gonna take care of the whole yard. And it's like, no, I'm miserable doing that. So I'm not gonna plant a tree, you know. I can get someone else to do that and I can just like, plant some flowers. Yeah, I do photography and I love crafting. I'm crafting uh a beach bag and it may or may not be done by the summertime. And so yeah, and and it's not just about being productive. But I feel like when I'm doing these things, I just it gives me the space to kind of sit right with Mm -hmm. myself and it opens up other things. I can't imagine 10 years ago being able to sit and embroider a bag, you know, and so it just started off as something I would distract myself with in the evening so that I wouldn't drink. And then it just kind of became a meditative experience. Mm So we heard
1: just now that you were listening to that inner voice. And so what kind of things helped you tune into that inner voice more?
0: Yeah, if we look at it with those three categories, mind, body, and soul, I think that, yeah, and I think it's good to get really like practical things. I always ask people, I'm like, no, but what did you do? Not theoretically. Mm-hmm. So for the body, I exercise. I spend time doing things outside Eating properly is big. I don't want to do it, but I, um yeah, yeah the soul, I kind of, I, I live in a lot of like natural beauty and so that's really helpful. I walk around. This is interesting. This happened when I stopped drinking, but I really, I listen to a lot of music and I dance around the house. And I think I was weirdly more restrained when I was drinking. I think I was more self-conscious, which is weird because I think you're like, oh, drinking makes you uninhibited but I don't know I think I was more I was more afraid to be like a kid and I think I'm not like that now um no you're definitely not like that I have such good memories
1: of you like us having dance parties in your kitchen slash like living area like that's not you I would never think that you're restrained now
0: no like it's funny i was making cookies with your daughter over christmas and this i put on like this playlist that we had been listening to in the summer yeah she was like the song came on she's like do you remember when we were dancing to this and then we walked out onto the deck and then we kept dancing and i was like i do remember that i have video of that please don't (laughs) please don't it was like (laughs) it was an early morning sesh um yeah. And then finally, and this is a little bit newer for me, is taking care of my mind, which is therapy. And so, could you maybe talk a little bit more about how therapy is a self care practice? I mean, I think it's
1: really a self care practice that doesn't always feel good, right? Like, it doesn't always feel good in the moment. It can be hard and painful, but, and it takes a lot of courage. It's not just about running a bubble bath, it's not just about going to get your hair done. It's like, You In therapy, you are often delving into painful memories, painful emotions. You're facing things that maybe you wouldn't want to face, but I think it's ultimate self-care actually because usually when people come to therapy, it's because they want to change something in their life. So they either want to heal from something, they want to grow in a certain way, they want to become more self-aware. And let's be honest, we all have flaws. Like we are all deeply flawed in some way. And therapy is really a journey of growth and of development. And I think, yeah, it's the ultimate self-care in my in my books. But I'm biased because I am a therapist, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I won't say that after every therapy session, I feel great. But I think that's where I'm starting to understand that self-care doesn't always feel amazing like a bubble bath, right? It doesn't always and sometimes takes a little bit longer to see the effects of it, right?
1: It does. And I think a lot of the work for therapy is in between therapy sessions. I often joke with my clients, I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but I often say like, you're going to have a therapy hangover tomorrow, or you might have a therapy hangover tomorrow to my clients that when we have really heavy, deep sessions, because when a lot of stuff comes out, it can feel emotionally exhausting. I've had clients tell me that after our therapy sessions, they've slept for twelve hours because, like, it's not like that every session. I don't want to yeah. scare people away, being like every session is going to be like that. But just some sessions, when we just, you know, when we when there's a realization or we we find something that has been a block or something, like it can be, yeah, there it can be like a hangover the next day in the sense that you just feel kind of gross or heavy. But the difference with drinking in a therapy hangover is usually there is relief after yeah. the, the therapy in a sense that there can be a lightness.
0: I hope you've been enjoying the podcast. Most of you know that I run Everbloom, where we offer support to women who are trying to change their relationship with alcohol. These are the meetings I wish I had when I was struggling. Our groups are small, everyone has a chance to speak, and there is no judgment, only support. If you sign up by February 15th, you'll be able to join a group that I run and save $10 off your first month with the code TRYJAN. Back to the pod. I'm doing EMDR now and I have a session tomorrow and the therapist said, uh, you know, you may not want to book anything after that one. Like yeah. He, so
1: yeah. that's the same thing. That's Interesting. So and I, EMDR is we is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a technique. Uh, I, won't, I won't go into it in detail, but it is a therapeutic technique. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's supposed to really kind of look at trauma. Shake or it out. the past. Shake it out
0: in a sense. <laughs> Ready to get shaken out tomorrow. Um, yeah. Because before I'd been like, I'd have therapy and I'd like go on a date. And I'm like, yeah, maybe not. Maybe this one, no. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm a no on that tomorrow. But what, um, and this is something that came up for me. What role do boundaries play in self-care?
1: Oh my gosh. Boundaries are so
0: massive. I talk about boundaries so
1: much with my clients. There can be boundaries with other people, boundaries with your time, boundaries with self. And so setting and enforcing boundaries can also boost your self-esteem. And what that means is it shows that you value yourself and your needs. And that's a really, really, really critical aspect of self-care. So for example, if you are a people pleaser and you say yes to everything that everyone asks you, And even though you, let's say, don't want to go to something or you don't want to do something, but you just ignore your boundaries and you just do it anyway, how are you caring for yourself in that way? You're like you, you're saying to yourself, I don't want to do this. I'm too tired or whatever. And then you just blow past those boundaries. That's not a very good way to practice self-care. So I think boundaries are really important. And the thing is, boundaries can be so hard to set because inevitably, often you're going to disappoint other people you're going to say no or you're going to not have certain people in your life anymore cuz they're not bringing joy or adding to it. And so that can be really tough for people, but would you rather would you rather break a promise to yourself and please someone else yeah. or would you rather hold a boundary for yourself and be healthier because of it?
0: Yeah, and risk
1: disappointing someone else. Exactly. Are there are there other practices you can use as a form of self-care?
0: Yeah, my biggest one is doing nothing. And it's new also because I grew up, you know this, in a really like mm-hmm. if doing nothing was not allowed and then I was married to somebody where doing nothing was like not really allowed either. So, So this is like my era of doing nothing. And it took me mm-hmm. a long time to figure out, yeah, like the activities are great, but sometimes, no, sometimes I don't feel like picking up my beach bag embroidery or knitting a hat and I just want to be alone and not and I'm sensitive to the difference between like isolating and just really just wanting to be alone happily alone um and Mm -hmm. sometimes I'll nap I watch Netflix HGTV do some online Mm -hmm. shopping food network it's the best honestly it is the best part right now of my self-care routine like it I think that it it's almost, it's like on par with the journaling. Like that's how how good I feel after the doing nothing. And it seems really simple, but for someone like me, and I think for a lot of people out there who are especially using alcohol for stress or to relax, this might be actually really hard.
1: So doing nothing is the hardest one. I think combined with being, I'm a type A personality and I have ADHD. So I constantly feel like I have a motor running in my brain. This is the hardest one for me. And I remember growing up, I had this poster in my room when I was like a little girl and there was a horse on the poster and it said, do nothing, question mark, time is too precious to waste. And I remember having that poster, right? Like I, this poster and I think about it so much because like through my mindfulness practices and through meditation and that journey I've been on to really like learn I have spent a lot of time just being, and it has been the hardest practice for me. But I think doing nothing, yeah, I think it is like to know when to rest and then to actually give yourself permission to rest is such a huge gift. And I think also maybe that is the ultimate self-care, actually. Maybe that is the ultimate self-care. I
0: I don't know what you're talking about because I haven't seen you do that in maybe two years. What, the doing nothing? Yeah, I've not seen you do nothing in two years. Yeah, I,
1: I don't know. This is like something I really struggle with. I really, yeah. really struggle with it. And I, especially as I am building my practice and, you know, finishing up my master's and all of these things, being a single mom, but this is not an excuse. Like I'm, t- I'm saying all these things, but yeah.
0: I mean, I think it's a pretty good excuse.
1: I mean, it is, but at the same time, is that self-care I would say that I'm getting better at setting boundaries for my time. For example, I was going to host like a meditation class on on Thursday nights by popular Mm. demand. And I was like, no, I I can't do this because I have so many other commitments. So I set a boundary and that boundary was for myself, really, to be a better human, to be better for myself, to be a better therapist. It's just like little things, but yes, I I can do more work on doing nothing for sure.
0: Okay, I'll watch it. I'll, I'll like I'll monitor.
1: <laughs> Will you? Be yeah. like, do you do? Maybe right I now? should report back to you and be like, just so you know, I'm doing nothing right now. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to watch okay. the Gilded Age. Just watch it from beginning to end. At some point, are you not into okay. it anymore?
1: I am, but this is okay. So I I was so into it, but I was just gonna say. So last night. You know, I get up at four between four thirty and five in the morning to exercise and to meditate and do different things. And so last night I wanted to watch it, but I was like, it's 9 I would I'm prioritizing my sleep yeah. over the gilded age. That's okay.
0: That's okay. okay. Sleep yeah. is self-care.
1: Yeah, sleep is self- No, sleep is big self-care. So yeah. I've really prioritized my sleep in the last six months because that was that was falling. <laughs> falling short for a while. Okay. So carrying on, you must see a lot of changes or an evolution in your self-care routine.
0: Yeah, I definitely see changes. I think that every kind of life change or, you know, major experience just pushes you to reevaluate your tools. Especially for me, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't have the tools for this. I'm going to have to, I got to go back to the drawing board and, and figure out how I can support myself through this.
1: Mm -hmm. And so what have the past couple of years looked like for you?
0: Starting around 2019 to 2022, it was a new phase where I really wanted some connection to other sober people. And so around 2021, I was like, okay, I have a grasp on being sober. Like I can go out and not drink. And I cannot drink when I'm stressed. I cannot drink when I'm set. I've gotten through all those like milestones, like New Year's Eve, birthdays, whatever, not drinking. But I wanted friends who didn't drink. So, not all my friends. I just was thinking, like, how nice would it be to have a little group mm-hmm. of people that that didn't drink or the center of their socializing wasn't drinking. And so I started in 2019. I tried AA. And it wasn't for me. And then I tried online meetings. And I tried a bunch of different ones. And then finally, I made a group of girlfriends in New York that were sober or sober curious. That was amazing. And so even though I moved from New York, I channel those vibes into like my friendships. So let's not make these activities about drinking. Let's go for a high tea or let's go like I went out with a girlfriend of mine and we were looking for cinnamon buns in the middle of the day and we found them. And so, yeah, I think that that was important to me was to find other people to do these sort of non-drinking activities with instead of doing the same activities and not drinking. And so that was huge. And then I know we talk about my divorce all the time, but then I went through a very difficult time in 2022. Yeah, I kind of was able to be vulnerable and lean on people, and I think mostly you and my other sister-in-law, and that was that was the next big shift for me. I think that my self-care now is kind of realizing I can't do everything on my own, and also just getting that feedback from people. Like even before we start the episode, I usually will, before we start recording, I'll be like, "So this is what's happening, and uh, what do you think?" And I'm like not afraid to look crazy mm-hmm. anymore. I'm able to be like, that's crazy, right? And you'll be like, yeah, it's a, little, it's a little nuts. Something for me lately has been around that connection part, just between figuring out like sober activities with friends to having some sober friends and then learning to really lean on people when I'm mm-hmm. struggling. It sounds like the sober community
1: is... It was super important for you, and how important is it to find that sober community for people who are are trying to get sober or stay sober?
0: Yeah, I think it's really important to feel supported in your sobriety. And I think like that you have a team. and we had a meeting last week, and we were talking about dry January, and I have a client that did dry January last year, and then we started talking about spouses. We said, "Oh, like, is your spouse doing dry January? And she mentioned it to her partner and he said, This sounds like a team sport and he did it with her and I think it can really make all the difference. And so that's something that's been actually coming up a lot lately in my groups is what do you do if your spouse Mm -hmm. or close friends drink and that is their major form of socializing? And so I didn't have that issue when I quit Mm -hmm. drinking. My ex also stopped using any substances. And it was really helpful. But what can you do if if that's not your spouse's or your close friend's path?
1: It is really challenging. I, I will say that it is really, really challenging. And I, you know, my current partner, he definitely drinks like not heavily. But when I met him, he was definitely drinking more heavily than he does now. And that was hard for me because I even at that time was really not into it. And it can be hard because, you know, when you go out with friends, like things are stirred around drinking, you don't want to be kind of singled out. But I think having an honest conversation with your partner and your close friends about your journey to sobriety is really important. You need to explain why it's important to you and how it might affect you to being in that environment. And so that understanding and support from loved ones can make a huge difference. We're going to talk about boundaries again, because I think that you can set clear boundaries around alcohol. So, you know, maybe asking, for example, if it's in your home and you have a spouse that drinks, like, can you discuss having maybe an alcohol-free area in your home? And it's okay to prioritize your sobriety in that. Just like you did, like searching for cinnamon buns, I think you can suggest or initiate social activities that don't involve drinking. I love going on hikes. I am probably never going to ask someone to go with my friends to meet me at a bar. So really having a list of social activities that, that don't have to involve drinking. And then developing a support network like Everbloom, your company, you know, that is a great support network to have relationships with other people who are sober. And I think that's really, really important to have that so people understand what you're going through also.
0: Yeah, that I totally agree. So last night we had a meeting and we talked a lot about how you can talk to people around you. And especially I think it's important for dry January. How can you kind of rally support for your sobriety?
1: Yeah, you can express your commitment to sobriety and can share your decision to become and remain sober and why it has been important for you. Being open and honest. And I mean, this is what you talked about too, Sonia, is like sharing your feelings, challenges, and honesty. And y- you ask for help. To be vulnerable in that way is so important. I think also people don't fully understand what sobriety means or what you know having addiction means. Like we've talked about in early episodes, addiction doesn't always look like What it looks like in the movies. Most of the time it doesn't actually. So, you know, there's education and then discussing any boundaries. So there might be times that you're not going to go to certain events. So I you know, don't want to always bring it back to me. But for example, my birthday was a sober birthday. That was a decision that we made. And I communicated that to all the people who are coming to my birthday. But for Christmas Eve, you know that was something also i discussed with you with the other people attending and i was like we're okay if you guys want to drink wine you go for it but i'm not buying it so like feel free to bring it and have it if you want that for christmas eve that's your choice at my house that's okay but you know it was it was a really thought through decision and mm-hmm. we discussed and i discussed my boundaries around that i also think expressing gratitude and support for people who are giving you support and understanding And that can really enforce those positive interactions. Sonia, what role do you feel that a sober community can play in preventing relapse and or like having a slip?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, that's accountability. And a good example is I was at a New Year's Eve party a couple of nights ago now. And I think every almost every single person was drinking and, you know, all the practices I had in place helped, right? I mm-hmm. had some mocktails. I knew I was going to come home. I had actually made a mocktail before I left and had my peppermint chocolate bark out and I had my like cutest pajamas. And so though that kind of planning helps. But I think what really helped me was knowing that on New Year's Day, I was going to be at a meeting, an Everbloom meeting with with my buddies, and they had just gone through the same thing, right? And so mm-hmm. just knowing that, that there's other people going through the same thing, there's other people that are feeling that same way, and and that I do have some accountability. To be honest, there's no way I'm going to show up at New Year's Day on a meeting and tell people I drank last night. I'm just not going to do it. And so, yeah, that really helps, I think, having that accountability. hmm
1: hmm Yeah, that's a good
0: one. That's That is really... I think that accountability is so
1: important. And it's like you said, you wanted to show up on New Year's Day and you're not going to be like, yeah, so I I drank last night. Ah. What resonated the most with you from today's
0: episode? I think that that self-care doesn't always feel good in the Mm -hmm. moment is it's a tough one to wrap your head around because I really do think that that we associate that term self-care with a bubble bath. And I think that Realizing that it's not about a cheat day on your diet, right? Like, it's more like we're going to eat properly every day because it feels good over time. And so, I think that that's something that is really important for people to know that therapy doesn't always feel good. And it's not going to feel good after maybe the first session. It's going to take maybe three, four, or five sessions before you really start to feel like you're getting somewhere. So, I think that I think I'm not a super patient person. And I think that, yeah, just knowing that these things aren't going to feel amazing, that they may take time is really helpful. Mm -hmm. What resonated with
1: you? Um, Actually, something that you said at the beginning of our episode, when you were looking, you said to establish self-care practices that you look at it backwards so anything that compromises your sobriety you have to sort of look at okay what is a self-care tool that could be used in that and i think that is a really helpful tip and i'm gonna i am gonna do that look at things backwards yeah that is it for today's episode thank you so much for listening to sisters in sobriety and we'll see you next week when we'll talk about self-compassion
0: This was Sisters in Sobriety, a podcast brought to you by Everbloom, where we help women change their relationship with alcohol. Thank you for listening and being with us today. If you want to learn more about sobriety and meet your community, find us at joineverbloom.com. Are
1: you a sister in sobriety? Then reach out on social media. We'd love to hear from you. If you're feeling generous, leave us five stars and a review and follow us wherever you listen. You'll never miss an episode. Until next time.